This is the psychological breakdown number three. In this episode, we're going to be getting into part two uh, as I review Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Uh, in the last episode, we got to know what it was like for him and some of the other prisoners arriving at the concentration camps during the Holocaust. And we got to learn about the fear and the anger and anxiety of the nature of life there. And we saw some of the torture and hardships that some of the guards would place on these prisoners. But we also saw a man with a glimmer of hope in all of his suffering as he thought of his wife. And in this episode, we're going to get a little more in depth into the descriptions of the transformations that occurred um, from Viktor Frankl's point of view and just how much of a gangster Viktor really was I mean, under these hideous, horrendous circumstances. This man stood strong and chose to chose to help the people around him in the way that he could as a psychiatrist. And, well, humor was another of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. It is well known that humor, more than anything else in the human makeup, can afford an aloofness and an ability to rise above any situation, even if only for a few seconds. So right there. He describes humor as one of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. And we could think about that in a few ways. Uh, you know, people obviously use sarcasm uh, as a weapon, as a way to defend themselves. And sarcasm can be funny. But I think he's referring to that sort of gallows humor, that sort of humor that people develop in situations or jobs that, for lack of a better term, suck. And they develop this sense of humor as a way to cope with and, and, and deal with these harsh circumstances and to, and to bring up the people around them. You know, I remember being in the military and, uh, any chance I had to make the guys around me laugh when we were in some whatever difficult circumstance, uh, I took that chance and, and so did a few others because, uh, that humor is highly valued in these difficult situations. And, uh, and Victor knew that and he used it. I practically trained a friend of mine who worked next to me on the building site to develop a sense of humor. <clears throat> 
I suggested to him that we would promise each other to invent at least one amusing story daily about some incident that could happen one day after our liberation. He was a surgeon and had been an assistant on the staff for a large hospital, so I once tried to get him to smile by describing to him how he would be unable to lose the habits of camp life when he returned to his former work. On the building site, especially when the supervisor made his tour of inspection, the foreman encouraged us to walk faster by shouting, Action! Action! I told my friend, One day you will be back in the operating room performing a big abdominal operation. Suddenly, an orderly will rush in announcing the arrival of the senior surgeon by shouting, Action! Action! Sometimes the other men invented amusing dreams about the future, such as forecasting that during a future dinner engagement, they might forget themselves when the soup was served and beg the hostess to ladle it from the bottom. So he's using that sort of, that sort of dark humor like, hey man, this action action that we're hearing right now, one day you're going to be back. You're going to be back at work. You're going to be doing what you do. And someone's going to shout, action, action. And you're going to be able to think back to this. And it's going to bring some sort of humor to your day. And then, secondly, he he says that some of the other men might forget themselves at a dinner one day and ask for the soup to be served from the bottom. And that's sort of a joke from Camp Life that um, they would be served soup as their food and the larger bits that the soup was made of would sink to the bottom. And so the prisoners would joke that they wanted their soup ladled from the bottom. And so he says, one day after you leave here, you're going to be at a fancy dinner and you're going to ask the hostess to ladle your soup from the bottom. The attempt, to develop, the attempt to develop a sense of humor and to see things in a humorous light is some kind of a trick learned while mastering the art of living. Yet it is possible to practice the art of living even in a concentration camp, although suffering is omnipresent. There are obviously lessons that we can take from this book and apply to our lives. I believe this is one of the greatest ones we could try to implement, which is no matter the level of suffering, no matter the circumstance, you can master the art of living. I think this passage is alluding to that art of living being the ability to endure suffering in all ways and remaining steadfast and not letting that suffering scathe what it is you are at the deepest levels of your humanity. And reading this book and these experiences, I, I look at my own life and, and some of the own, some of my own what I would call hardships, and they pale in comparison 
And yet at times I have felt like a victim. Like I had felt, I had felt like my circumstances were unjust. And reading this and seeing Victor Frankl's ability to not only endure it himself, but to bring others out of it as well. And that is something that I will apply to myself. That's something that I'll try to apply. We can endure. And this next part, it really stuck out to me and gave me a lot to think about. He says, the experiences of camp life show that man does have a choice of action. There were enough examples, often of a heroic nature, which proved that apathy could be overcome, irritability suppressed. Man can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress. He who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So in these dire circumstances, these men are seen giving away their last bits of food to others in need. So what is it that I have that I could give? What is it that I'm not giving? What is it that I could be that I'm not? And what is it that I'm holding on to as valuable that I could be giving away? What, what are the things that I think I need that someone else might need more? Because if these guys can give away their last pieces of bread, I mean, Victor states, <clears throat> Dostoevsky said once, there is only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. I'll read that again. There is only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. These words frequently came to my mind after I became acquainted with those martyrs whose behavior in camp, whose suffering and death bore witness to the fact that the last inner freedom cannot be lost. It can be said that they were worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their suffering was a genuine inner achievement. It is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. He's saying that we can bear the weight of living, whatever it is. And by bearing the weight of living is how we find meaning and purpose. 
and the way in which we do that and with and how we maintain our integrity and humanity through it all is the way that we find purpose. And these guys are going through so much. I mean, things that, you know, are put into words here, but you can't imagine. I'm sure you can't even imagine this unless you're there. But you can think about moments in your own life where you had to go without something, where you had to endure something, something mental, something physical, emotional. And that thing affected your ability to be a nice person or to make good decisions. It affected your ability to be at peace, some sort of suffering you were going through. Maybe you had to go without food for a little while. Maybe you had to go without food for a day. <clears throat> Maybe you only got three hours of sleep, two hours of sleep. And this is happening to these men and women every day. And he's saying, look, this is what we've learned. Some people broke. But those that didn't found this inner peace, found this new meaning and this new purpose in their life through their ability to endure all these things and maintain a state of peace through it all. And I think they do that by accepting the suffering as another aspect of nature. And they accept it for what it is. And they continue, as he showed, to love the people around them by giving them their last pieces of bread, by trying to make a joke with them, by teaching them how to make jokes so that they can save themselves. And I think that's something that we can all think about. I know I can. And next we see just what level to which these people can find a sense of salvation in these dire circumstances. Here he's referring to a young woman that passed in the camps that he spoke to. This young woman knew that she would die in the next few days. But when I talked to her, she was cheerful in spite of this knowledge. <clears throat> she says, I am grateful that fate has hit me so hard. In my former life, I was spoiled and did not take spiritual accomplishments seriously. Pointing through the window of the hut, she said, This tree here is the only friend I have in my loneliness. Through that window, she could see just one branch of a chestnut tree. 
and on the branch were two blossoms. I often talk to this tree, she said. I was startled and didn't quite know how to take her words. Was she delirious? Did she have occasional hallucinations? Anxiously, I asked her if the tree replied, yes. What did it say to her? She answered, it said to me, I am here. I am here. I am life, eternal life. We have stated that that which was ultimately responsible for the state of the prisoner's inner self was not so much the enumerated psychophysical causes as it was the result of a free decision. So he says right there, we have seen that is not the makeup of the body and the mind. It is not the outside circumstances that caused many of these prisoners to find salvation. It was in a free decision to do so. He says, psychological observations of the prisoners have shown that only the men who allowed their inner hold on their moral and spiritual selves to subside eventually fell victim to the camp's degenerating influences. The question now arises, what could or should have constituted this inner hold? So he's saying, the people that fell victim to the camp's circumstances fell victim because they allowed it to. And that seems so hard to imagine. And I certainly can't assume that I wouldn't have fell victim because I wasn't there. I haven't experienced it. And I couldn't know unless I was there. He says it's a choice. In every circumstance, it's a choice to have an inner hold on who you are, an inner hold on your morals, on what you believe is most important about being a human, and what you believe is most important about how to treat other people. Varying this, we could say that most men in a concentration camp believed that the real opportunities of life had passed. He's referring to um, those men believing that their life was over, that their previous life was gone forever. Yet in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph. Or one could ignore the challenge and simply vegetate, as did a majority of the prisoners. So he's saying these people have a choice, and that choice that they make largely depends on how they see things. It largely depends on how they see the future. If they saw that they had a way out, if they saw that there was a possibility for goodness in the future, that they would be okay. But for those men that did not see any sort of end to the suffering, uh, those people 
those people fell victim to the circumstances. Those people fell into the apathy further. So we can think about that and say, am I apathetic? Am I in a situation where I, I'm not moving toward a goal? Uh, I certainly have been in situations where I wasn't moving toward a goal. Or at least not, not the right goal. And it wasn't until I found the right goal or goals that I found a greater sense of meaning in my own life. Some of the biggest ones for me were having children. I think there's no, there's no greater goal than trying to raise good people. And, uh, and there's no greater goal than trying to take care of your children. That for me has given me a lot of meaning and purpose in my life. And I'm sure it has for many others as well. But it wasn't until finding that foresight, that, that light at the end of the tunnel, that goal ahead, um, that I found that sort of ability to endure all things. And for these people in this camp, the light at the end of the tunnel for some of them was just being good to the man next to them. That was the ultimate goal to maintain their human ethics. And I think if these people can endure what they did, then there is nothing that any of us can't do. The prisoner who had lost faith in his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite suddenly in the form of a crisis, the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. We all feared this moment, not for ourselves, which would have been pointless, but for our friends. Usually it began with the prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and washed or to go out on the parade grounds. He just lay there, hardly moving. And this passage makes me think about what I could look for in my friends and my family. The signs I could look for. You know, do you see someone that is in some sort of crisis, that is becoming apathetic, that is unwilling to do some of the daily things that most of us do as part of our daily routine, as part of a way to prepare for our day. You know, we might have friends and family around us that start to show these signs of failing to endure, 
by no fault of their own? And in what ways can we step in? Can we share our last piece of bread? In what ways can we share humor? In what way can we help to show them some light at the end of the tunnel? Some future goal. In the book, Victor shares some of Nietzsche's words to better emphasize this point. He says, He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. So if we have our reasons, we can do, we can bear with anything. But you have to have your reasons. You have to have something that you're bearing for. Otherwise, it's just suffering to suffer. And that would be unjust, wouldn't it? But suffering with a purpose that is just. And it is only the injustices that we cannot bear. But just suffering, we have almost no limit to what we can bear. And again, I'll relate this to my own life. I've been in circumstances where I didn't have the, the how. And every little thing, every suffering was another reason to stop, to express apathy, to express failure and ultimately I didn't have the light at the end of the tunnel and so I kept looking for things to replace that what was taken from me in that suffering and so I would use I used drugs I used alcohol I used even food I used sometimes extreme exercise and it wasn't until I found the meaning in life for myself and it, it's I think it's different for everyone and it wasn't until I found my why that everything became justified it wasn't until I developed a stronger human ethic within me that I learned how to endure. It's easy to become trapped in a cycle of unjust suffering and apathy. And that cycle goes unjust suffering, apathy, and bad decisions which lead to possibly, if you can look at it in a certain way, just suffering as it's deserved from your bad decision. But you keep going around this cycle, suffering, apathy, bad decision, suffering, apathy, bad decision. And you need to do something to break that cycle. And Victor was being that something for some of the people in this camp. 
by sharing humor with them, by helping them deal with these stories. But sometimes you have to be that person for yourself and you have to light your own light at the end of the tunnel and you have to give your own life a why. And you do that by making a choice and you do that by making the choice of maintaining a strong human ethic. And Victor alludes to that being that the main goal of life is to love and be love. And that is the greatest thing to which we could aspire. I think that's all I'll review today. I will continue reviewing Man's Search for Meaning in Part 3.